Welcome to Fresh Start Church Online. Our mission is to help people find a fresh start through Jesus Christ. Please let us know if we can pray for you or help you in any way. Now here's Pastor Bruce with this week's message. are in uh, week two of our series of questions and answers, and uh, some of the questions that we received that prompted this series were questions about uh, judging other people. We did a a message not too long ago about uh, not being judgmental, but somebody said, but aren't we, doesn't the Bible say we're supposed to judge people in the church? Maybe we're not supposed to judge people outside the church, but doesn't the Bible say we're supposed to judge people in the church? And then another question was about a judgment day. Do Christians stand before God for a final judgment? Are we going to uh, be in, in front of the throne of God and uh, maybe face his wrath, uh, face his, uh, his, his power, maybe his punishment, as he looks back at everything that's happened in our lives? And that's a big question for a lot of people. And so uh, I just thought was such a heavy topic, this is so important, that we should start uh, with a a short video of Jim Carrey. This looks rosy. Sure. Sounds good. 
this last entry was a little disturbing. so honored when they made that uh, movie about me several years ago. When he opens that drawer of everything he said or done or thought about doing, and it goes all the way across that room, it's funny, and yet the whole length of that drawer is nothing compared to the real files of God. It, it says that he knows every one of our days before the first one comes to be. He knows how many hairs are on our head. He knows how many I've been losing, off the top of my head especially. Uh, God really does know everything we've said or done. One of the verses that I was studying for this uh, message was about, you know, every, everything we've done in secret will be revealed. And we think, oh my gosh, how terrible that is, that everything I've done in secret, everybody that nobody else knew that I did that or that I thought that, or nobody else knew, and that's going to be revealed, and that bothers us. And yet, God already knows. It's not like one day he's going to be surprised when he sees what we've done or thought about doing. He already knows all of that. And so for many Christians, we're afraid of what happens when that filing cabinet is open. What happens when all those files come out and they open? What's God going to do with me? I mean, I believe in him. I've received Christ as my savior. I go to church. I mean, what's going to happen to me though when I have to stand before God? Because I know, even though I know the good stuff I've done, I also know all the bad things that I've done. So I want us to look today, really just at at, at, at those two questions that I mentioned, and, and we're going to start with talking about what, what is the war, before we can say, are we supposed to judge other people, or what's going to happen to us on judgment day, before we can do that, we've got to understand the meaning of the word. And, and so the word used in the Bible uh, that's translated into our word, uh, judge, in English, it's got several different meanings, and so it's, it's used in lots of different ways. Uh, the, the Greek word is the word krino, and it can mean to discern, to make a judgment call. We're just deciding something based on information that we have. It can, it can be to condemn. It can, so it can be discern, it can be decide, to make a choice. Use your best judgment, we say. And then condemn what happens when the gavel of the judge comes down. What happens when there's a, a court order against you? It's called a judgment. It may be called a final judgment. And so there's lots of different uh, meanings for the same word from the Greek word krino. 
Now, the Bible certainly tells us to discern. It tells us to look and say, is this good or bad? Should I do this or should I not do this? We're supposed to discern things all the time. And the Bible certainly tells us to make good choices, to decide. So that's not a bad thing. But then the word condemn. And that's the one that we most frequently think about when we think about judging, especially when we think about judging other people, is, is that we tend to be uh, condemning in what we say or what we do. And so let's just look at, at how each of those different meanings comes to play into Scripture. Uh, you know, there's a time that Jesus was talking with uh, Simon Peter, and he told him a story. And he said, Peter, there, there was this man, and he loaned two guys money. He loaned one of them $50, and he loaned one of them $500. And neither of them could repay him. So he just forgave the debt. Which one do you think was more thankful? And look at Peter's answer, Luke 7, verse 43. Simon Peter answered and said, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. And, and so Peter's thinking, okay, one guy owes a little bit, another guy owes a lot more. All of a sudden, the debt is forgiven. Which one's more thankful? Which one's more appreciative? Well, naturally, you would think the guy with the bigger debt. And, that, and that's why sometimes we see uh, different people who have received Christ, and so they've received the forgiveness of God, but the guy who knows how bad he was, is so much more appreciative for God's forgiveness because he knows, man, I really, really, really didn't deserve it. The person who thinks they were basically a good person, but they received Christ, they may not be as thankful. They may not appreciate the gift of forgiveness and the gift of salvation. And, and so Peter, you know, gives the right answer. He says, well, I, I think the guy who, who had the largest debt canceled. And Jesus says, that's right. Now, the word used there for right, the Greek word, krino, krino, you made the right choice. You made the right choice. You discerned correctly. You heard about two options and you picked the right answer. And that's that same word that can be used for judge sometimes was used to say, you're right. You made the right, right answer. Here's another one, Acts 3.13. For it's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of all our ancestors, who has brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. This is the same Jesus whom you handed over and rejected before Pilate, despite Pilate's decision to release him. That same word decision, Greek word krino, a decision, same word that we use for judge. So it can be to discern, it can be to choose, it can be... To decide. One more. John 7 verse 51. Is it legal to convict a man before he's given a hearing? He asked. And that, that's Nicodemus talking about Jesus. All of a sudden they're going to they're, they're gonna condemn Jesus to death. And he hasn't even had a hearing. Is, is that legitimate? Well, that same word convict. Greek word krino. So it's, it, it's used in different ways in English. But it's all from the same word that means Judge. So it can mean to condemn. Are you really going to convict this guy? That's condemn him. Pilate made a decision. Simon Peter picked the right 
answer to a question. All from the same root word. So, as we read through the Bible and we see the word judge or, or judgment, we've got to think in, in a larger context, okay, which meaning is he using here? What does that mean in this particular verse? And that's part of what we started talking about Wednesday night uh, as we started the series on Wednesday night on how to study the Bible. And, and this coming Wednesday, we're going to talk about how to use a study Bible, how to use a Bible. And if you were here last Wednesday, you know, I showed this whole big stack of books, a Bible dictionary, concordance, commentary, whole big stack of books. And, and one of the blessings of a study Bible is, is it kind of sums it all up for us. It makes it easy as you're reading the Bible to get the background information, to understand the context, to be able to see, okay, wh- what did that mean? What was happening in that point in time? And so as we read through the Bible and we see the word judge, we've got to be careful not to pull it out of context, but to look at the, at the bigger portion of Scripture to understand, okay, what does that word mean here, what does it mean right here being said today? So the first question, why does the Bible say not to judge other people, but then it also says we're supposed to judge people in the church? And that was a good question. I, I wish the person that asked it was here today, uh, but it was a good question. So here's, here's the most famous uh, verse in the Bible about not judging people. This is Jesus talking, and he says, do not Judge others and you will not be judged. What does he mean? Do not judge others. Pretty clear, isn't it? Jesus says, do not judge others and you will not be judged. And then he goes on to talk about the rest of the verses there are ones that we that we covered just recently. But but he goes on to talk about if you judge people you're probably doing the same exact thing. But you're condemning them for what they're doing, but you're doing the same thing. And the following verses talk about how can you tell somebody to get that speck out of their eye when you've got a tree in your eye. You've got this telephone pole in your own eye, and you're worried about this little speck in somebody else's eye. And so Jesus is talking about this idea that we're condemning people for stuff we do. We're condemning people for the very same things that we do. And in fact, we may be condemning them for doing it just a little when we're doing it a whole, whole lot. And so that's one of those things that Jesus just hates is hypocrisy, us condemning somebody else for something that we do or we do something just as bad. And so he says, don't judge others. Don't do it. Don't judge others and you won't be judged. But then Paul, in his letter to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 5, verse 12 says, It isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. God will judge those on the outside, but as the scriptures say, you must remove the evil person from among you. And Paul gives all these examples of of outrageous sin, that if it was happening in the church, he says, you, you, you've got to judge. You've got, you, you've got the responsibility to judge people in the church. And notice it says you must remove the evil person from among you. How does that work? Because every one of us sitting here today is a sinner. 
not was a sinner, we are sinners. So if we said we've got to remove sinners from the church, well, let's all get up and leave. We were at a place once in uh, Atlanta, Georgia, years ago, um, and it was a it, it was a uh, owned by a magician. He did comedy magic, and he built like it wasn't a theater. It was like a long bar, and then there was one aisle to walk through, and then there was one row of chairs, and up above that was one more row, and that was it. I mean, the place held like twenty five people, but it was like this mini auditorium. He just made it that way, and he and he did. Uh, you know, magic with cards and small things that you could see close up. And so here's this tiny little place. And and he said that, that one day during one of his shows that a lady got up to go to the bathroom. And so he just told everybody else, let's get up and leave. And they did. They just all got up and walked out of the store, you know, walked out onto the street. Lady comes out of the bathroom. Everybody's gone. I thought it was funny when I heard about it. And I could imagine, if you're, especially if you're sitting there, that actually happening. Just everybody get up and leave. Well, if we're going to remove evil, the evil people from the church, we all need to get up and we all need to walk out together. Because we, we saw a few weeks ago that if we just show favoritism, if we just treat the rich guy who comes into church differently than the poor guy, that's evil. It's evil motives in our heart. And, and so how does this work? Judge those inside the church, remove the evil person from among you? Well, one of the things that uh, that we're going to be learning on Wednesday nights is not to take a verse out of context. See, a lot of people would point to this verse and say, we're supposed to judge people in the church. And what they mean by that is that they want to come condemn you for anything that you're doing that they don't think is right or anything you're not doing that they think you ought to do. Usually people that point to this verse are very, very judgmental. They love to be critical. They're self-righteous. They love to tell you what's wrong with you. And they go around just thinking they're so spiritual and so godly. But when we pull back a little and look at the context, here's what was happening. This was a local church, a group of early Christ followers who lived in the city of Corinth in Greece. And here's what was going on. There was one man, one man. Now, Paul gives other examples of other types of sin after this, but there was one man in the church who was sleeping with his stepmother, his father's wife, his stepmother. This guy in the church, good Christian, walking into church. This guy was sleeping with his stepmother. We're not talking about past tense. He did something terrible in the past. We're talking about ongoing. He was doing this. Not only did everybody in the church know about it, Paul says they were bragging about it. I don't know if they thought it was funny. I don't know if they thought it was cool. I don't know what in the world could have been going on in their minds because it wasn't just against God's word and God's plan for sex inside of marriage. It wasn't just against that. It, it was against the Roman law. It was against everybody. Everybody thought that was wrong. The non-believers would have told you that's wrong in that time period. And they were bragging about it. And so Paul says, look, here's the deal. I don't know why you're bragging, but you should be ashamed 
You should be ashamed of bragging. He says, now, it's not my responsibility to walk through the streets of Corinth or to go all around Greece and tell everybody who's not a Christ follower what they're doing wrong or that they need to stop. No, that's, that's not my job. God will judge people outside the church, people who don't claim to believe in him or follow him. God will judge them, he says, but... You guys, as this local church, have this responsibility to not only allow, but you're promoting this. The fact that you're bragging about it, he said, what you've done is you've you've let some poison into the church, and it's going to spread, and it's going to eat you all alive. He said, deal with that guy. Deal with that guy. And he said, kick him out. Let his sin devour him. That sounds kind of mean, doesn't it? The, okay, we can't have you here doing that anymore. I get that. I get that. When my best friend of 15 years came over to tell me that he was leaving his wife, he was leaving his kids, he was already having an affair with this other woman, and this was a Christian. He's already having an affair with this other woman, and he said, I, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm doing. I'm going to go off with her. I'm leaving my wife. I'm leaving my kids. That's what I'm doing. I said to him, okay, but you're not welcome here anymore. You can't, you can't pretend to still be following God and come hang out with me and my family so that my kids see this and think it's okay because I'm allowing you to be here. I can't do that anymore. And I didn't see him for years. I didn't see him for years. Now we're good friends again. Because he repented. And he, and he turned back to God. And so even in this case, and I encourage you to read it this afternoon. Read that, uh, all of chapter 5. There's, there's just incredible stuff there. But read the whole thing. In this case, Paul says, this guy is committing this outrageous sin. It's an ongoing sin. You guys are not just allowing it. You're laughing about it. You're bragging about it. And that's just going to destroy your church and your lives. You've got to get that guy, have a church meeting, deal with this, get that guy out of the church, let him go do whatever he wants to do, let his sin eat him up. But even then, Paul says, so that he will be saved. He didn't say just... Kick him into hell. No, no, no. He said, let him go through this. Let him suffer the consequences. Let him pay the penalty for what he's doing so that he'll be saved. So that he will turn away from that. Let him suffer the consequences so that he will turn away from that and be saved. So when we take this one verse and say we're supposed to judge people in the church, we need to be very careful about that. And realize this was a wild circumstance. This was a very specific situation. We need to be very careful. And when we do judge someone in the church, we're assuming here they had already followed what Matthew says, which is when one of us, somebody, uh, another believer, is is in sin and they've offended us, we're supposed to go to them one-on-one and talk to them about it. And if that doesn't work, they don't listen, then we take someone with us and we go meet with them and talk to them again. And if that doesn't work and they still don't listen, then we take it before the church leaders and let them deal with it through the church government. The whole goal of seeing somebody turn around 
and come back to God. That's the goal. Not to judge them so that they're condemned and destroyed, but to deal with this so that we don't let the sin infect the whole church, but to deal with it with the desire that they come back, with the desire that they stop doing what's wrong and start doing what's right, with the desire to see them whole and healthy and glorifying God again. As you look through the Bible, it seems like there's so many contradictions about judgment. John 3, 17, this is the verse after that famous verse, the probably the most famous verse in the entire Bible, John 3, 16. Uh, For God loved the world so much, he gave his only son, so that whoever believes in him would not perish, but could have eternal life. And John 3, 17 doesn't get much attention, but it's an amazing verse. God sent his son into the world not to do what? Not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. We talk about this a lot, that Jesus' mission was to seek and save lost people, to seek and save the downtrodden, to seek and save the prisoners, to seek and save the, the, the prostitutes, the crooked businessmen, and to seek and save the outcast of society. To seek and save people who were humble, who would repent and wanted to be saved. To seek and save people that the religious people of that day didn't want anything to do with. That was Jesus' mission. He didn't come into this world to come and judge and condemn. He came to save. He came to rescue that's easy to understand until you look at Matthew 16, verse 27, and there's a whole lot more verses like this. The Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father and will do what? Judge all people. Wait a minute. It just said Jesus didn't come to judge. He came to save. Now it says he's going to come in the future and he's going to judge all people. How does that work? Can can we trust the Bible at all? Well, Jesus already came on a mission to seek and save. He's coming again. And when he comes again, it's completely different than the first time. When he comes again, those who haven't received him, who haven't followed him, are going to be judged. We'll look more at that in just a few minutes. But notice it says judge all people according to their deeds. According to their deeds. There's a lot said about that in the Bible. Matthew 25 is one of the, one of the greatest examples where Jesus is looking at what you did or didn't do for the least of these. Looking at deeds. There's a lot of places in the Bible where it talks about our our works. James is all about if, if you've got, say you've got faith, but you're not doing anything with it, I'm not sure that you really have faith. There's so much in the Bible about what we do. So what are these deeds? What, how does that relate to judgment? Look at Revelation 22, verse 12. This is Jesus saying, look, I'm coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. Oh, wait a minute. Jesus came the first time not to judge, but to save. He's coming again. 
And part of what's going to happen is he's bringing a reward to repay all people according to their deeds. If, if you read through the Apostle Paul's writings, he, he, he must have loved sports. He's a real guy. He loves sports because he's always talking about this race. Let's run the race. We want to get the prize. We want to finish. We want to finish strong. We want to receive the crown at the end. He's always talking about these rewards. That's what this is talking about. Jesus is going to see our deeds and there will be rewards. But here's the huge, huge, huge misunderstanding. It's a misunderstanding with non-Christians and it's a huge misunderstanding with Christians. We get our salvation confused with these rewards that Jesus is talking about. We get them confused. They're two totally separate things. The Bible teaches we are saved by Grace alone, through faith in Christ alone, not by our works, not by anything that we can do. If there was anything we could do to be saved, then Jesus didn't need to die on the cross. But there's nothing that we can do to be saved. There's nothing we can do to be saved. Jesus did it all. But because he has saved us, we should then spend the rest of our life doing the things that he's equipped us to do. We spend the rest of our life thanking him by doing the things that he created us to do. That's when life has purpose. Life has purpose when we, each one of us differently, use the gifts that God has given us to fulfill the specific things that he has for us to do. You know, back in March when Brent and Audra and the kids came to help us as we were trying to start this church. Brent was coming to help somebody else with worship. And all of a sudden, Brent led worship. Never led worship before. Taught himself how to play the guitar. Never been on a worship team before. God's given Brent gifts. Gifts and they and they hadn't been developed and they've been over these last six seven months they've been developing 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 I stand here and I go that's my son I'll embarrass him that's I used to talk about you guys a lot more when you weren't in the church and it's always like years ago different family members would start coming to our church and I think well there goes all those illustrations some good some not so bad but you know it, it I, I'm standing there thinking he's created to do this created to do this this is a gift. And we've all got different ones. We've all got different ones. When we had the uh, barbecue recently at our house after church, and as Larry walks up, Larry starts ringing the doorbell. And Valerie's outside, and she's going, who the heck keeps ringing the doorbell? Why don't they just come in? We're trying to get this party to go. Why don't they just go? Why are they doing that? I said, it's Larry. It's because Larry put that doorbell in for us. Larry can build stuff. Larry can fix stuff. Larry can do things. He's a contractor. He knows how to do stuff. He sees that doorbell. Ding, 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 ding. That seems like a simple thing. Unless you're me, who has absolutely no gifts or abilities to fix anything. I can pretty much break anything. I can't fix anything. And if you've been to our house in the last probably three years, instead of a doorbell, you saw these two bare wires sticking out of the wall. Two bare wires. And any guy that knows how to fix stuff sees those bare wires and touches them together, right? 
Because if you touch them together and it rings the doorbell, it means the little button was bad. Well, I Googled that and watched 17 videos and tried that three years ago. I touched them and the doorbell didn't ring. Otherwise, I would have bought one of those little buttons and tried to put it on there myself. That wasn't the problem. Larry figured it out. He put that on. That didn't work. He goes, puts on the other parts. He goes all around the house and gets it to where it works. He's got those gifts given to him by God to do good works. Sometimes we think these gifts are only spiritual gifts. No, all kinds of things. You may have the gift of hospitality. You may have the gift of service. You're the kind you walk in and see something needs done. You start doing it. All of those gifts are given to us by God. And if we use them, because we don't have to, we can just let them sit there. If we use them, it's a blessing to other people. It's a blessing to us, because when we use our gifts, we're fulfilling the reason why we were created. And it glorifies God when we are doing good things for other people. Those good things don't get us into heaven. They have absolutely nothing to do with our salvation. They cannot save us. I could do a million good things. They cannot save me. Only my faith in Christ can save me. And so this verse from Revelation, Jesus says, I'm coming soon, bringing my reward is we're saved by faith in Christ alone. But everything we do after that, we can get rewards. We can get rewards. That's why Paul says, keep going. Keep going. Get some rewards. Now, we don't do it to say, yeah, I'm working on I got 16,000 points. And when I hit 17,000, I get that. No, it's, 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 not, it's not a thing of pride. It's a thing of that's why I'm here on this earth. Bob told me before church that he had this experience back, uh, was it when you had your stroke that you were in the hospital? And, and he said, he looked down, there's his body still laying there, but he's standing there in the emergency room messing with the, doing what men do. We go around, turn all the dials and do all this stuff with equipment, you know. And, and he assumed he was dead or dying, headed to heaven. He's looking at his body, he's standing there. And all of a sudden he's back. Because God's not finished with Bob yet. I didn't know Bob back then. So God wasn't finished with you. Maybe he just brought, kept you alive because I needed to know you. Because I really like you. And I'm glad you're here. And that girl next to you does too. If we're still breathing, it's because God has some good deeds for us to still do. And we will be rewarded for those. We will be rewarded for those. Jesus is coming to bring a reward to repay all people according to their deeds. Doesn't determine our salvation. That was determined by Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. But we don't need to look at this judgment seat. Some translations talk about the, the, the judgment seat of Christ. But it's the same word that was used back if you've if you've ever watched like Gladiator or any of the any of the old movies of early Roman times, you know, the 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 king or the whoever was in charge sits on this special seat and he's the one that puts his thumb up to acknowledge who's the winner. He's the one passing judgment as to who won, 
Who won? He's the one giving out the awards for the event that just took place. That's the same word used that some translations say Jesus is sitting on this bema seat. He's sitting on this seat of judgment, but it's the place from which he can give us rewards. It's the place from which he can acknowledge the good things that we've done. So will Christians stand before God on Judgment Day? Are we going to be judged by God? Not just judged according to our rewards, according to our deeds. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, I'm going to look over everything you've done, and everything you've done that was good, you're going to get a reward for that. But apart from that, are we going to stand before God and face punishment? Is he going to look at all of our sins? Because the Bible says he forgives all our sins. They're, they're gone as far as the east is from the west. The Bible says he doesn't remember them anymore. And yet some verses look like we're going to stand before him and be judged for those sins again. How, how does that work? Well, look at 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 9. God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ not to pour out his anger on us. Not to pour out his anger on us. Isn't that interesting? My, one of my favorite professors in seminary, Steve Brown, every book he's ever written, they all say the same thing. God's not mad at you. Quit trying to be good and just love God. Quit trying to fulfill all these rules. Just love God. Because if you just love God, guess what? You're going to be good. But you're not going to be good because you're afraid of him. You're going to be good because you want to please him. I don't think in a few weeks is our 38th anniversary. I don't think in 38 years, I don't think Valerie's ever hit me. I deserve to be hit. I deserve to be smashed upside the head. I don't think she's ever hit me. I don't even know that she's ever thrown anything at me. If, if she did, she's not a very good throw, so it didn't hit me. And yet, I try to do things for her. I try to buy her flowers. I try to tell her I love her frequently. I try to do things for her. Not because she's going to punish me if I don't. Not because she's going to yell at me if I don't. Because I want to. I'm loving her back. I'm blown away by how undeserving I am of her love. And so it makes me just want to love her more. makes me want to please her more. Not because she's going to punish me. But because I'm so thankful that you're my wife. That's what God wants. We don't have to fear his punishment. Once we've, once we've uh, received Jesus is our Savior. We don't have to fear God's punishment anymore. But we we serve Him because we love Him. Not because we're gonna not, not because we're afraid of being punished, but because we want to let Him know how much we appreciate what He's done for us. He's done more than anyone or anything for us. He's not mad at you. He's madly in love with you. That's why He created you. That's why He sent Christ to die for you. John 3, 18. There is how much judgment? No judgment against who? Anyone who believes in him. There is no judgment 
for anyone who believes in him. Now, that's pretty confusing. Let me explain what that means. There is no judgment. No judgment. We judge ourselves. Other people judge us. There is no judgment. This is God's word. This isn't a feel-good talk. This isn't a pep rally. This is God's word. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. Now, here's what belief means. When you, when you read belief in the Bible, when you read belief as it relates to salvation, as it relates to Christ as Savior, when you read the word belief, it doesn't just mean some intellectual belief. I believe Barack Obama is president of the United States. I believe that. But I've never met him. I don't know the man. Don't know him. I have no relationship with him. He sure doesn't know me. Although once a year he sends me a bill. I don't know what that's about. But. There's a lot of people that say, oh, I believe in Jesus. What they mean is, I believe there was this guy named Jesus. I believe it. Heard too much about him to think that he was just made up. I believe there was this guy named Jesus. It's an intellectual belief. I believe there was this guy. I believe he was real. I believe he lived here. Okay, that doesn't save us. Just believing there was a guy in Jesus doesn't save us. We're talking about saving belief. We're talking about believing not just even that he was the Savior or the Son of God who came to earth and died on the cross and rose from the dead. Not just believing that. Not believing he is the Savior. Believing he's my Savior. Believing I've placed my trust in him. I've placed my faith in him. I've received him as my savior. I believe he has saved me. I believe I am a child of God adopted into his family. That's what it believe, belief means. So it's not just this ask Americans if they believe in Jesus. And every single, I think every single American would say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. It just means they believe there was a guy named Jesus. That's not a relationship. That's certainly not saving faith. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. But keep reading. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged. For not believing in God's one and only son. And anyone who believes in God's son, verse 36... Has what? Eternal life. Anyone who doesn't obey the Son will never experience eternal life, but remains under God's angry judgment. Anyone who believes, not going to be judged. Anyone who doesn't believe is going to be judged. In fact, it says they've already been judged. There's already been issued... Because this, this form of judgment that we're talking about now, the judgment of God, is a legal decree. He is the judge of the universe. He's the judge. And so as the judge sitting on the throne, he's already issued a legal decree. And his legal decree is that we all have already been judged. Notice it says... Remain, remain. Anyone who uh, doesn't believe, doesn't obey the Son, 
will never experience eternal life, but remains under God's angry judgment. What that means, that word remains, it means that's where we all were. We used to be there. We either are or we used to be in that place of being under God's angry judgment. Why? Because every one of us is a sinner. From the time we're born, we're sinners. We've all been born with this sin nature. And because God is holy and pure and 100% righteous, He can't stand sin. He can't stand to be around it. And so we are all under His judgment. Then, for some of us, we have said, I want to be saved. I am placing my faith in Jesus Christ as my Lord, as my Savior. I want to follow Him and serve Him. And so we're no longer under that judgment. That's what the word remains is. They're staying there. We didn't stay there. We got called out of darkness into light. We were blind, but now we can see. We were prisoners, but Jesus came to set the prisoners free. We deserve God's judgment. We deserve God's wrath. We deserve God's punishment. But the good news of the gospel is we don't have to stay in that place. We don't have to stay in that place. Through Jesus Christ, through trusting in him, we get to leave that place and be in the place that God wants us to be in. But it's our choice. One more passage, Revelation 20, starting in verse 11. This is a vision of the throne of God. It says, I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. The earth and sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne and the books plural, were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Verse 13, the sea gave up its dead and death and the grave gave up their dead and all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death. And, and anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. The book of life. What is that? Well, all through the New Testament it talks about it. That, that when we receive Christ, our names are then recorded in the book of life. Our names are recorded in the book of life. We can't go write them there. We can't pay money. You know, we, we, we can't do anything to get our name there. We receive Christ. And when we receive Christ, the Bible says we become a member of God's family. And so now the genealogy changes. Now the genealogy changes. It says that true Jews, I was just reading again this week, true Jews are those who have received Christ. True Jews are those who have received him. He said, I came to my own, but they didn't receive me. So now anybody, anybody that, that wants to can come. Anybody, Jesus said, the Gentiles who were the scourge of society, they can now come. And when we do, we're Jewish. We're adopted Jews because we're adopted into the family 
of God. And Jesus says, those are the real Jews. The real Jews are the ones that recognize the Messiah, recognize the one they were waiting for. They were waiting. They were being persecuted. They went through so much bad stuff, waiting and waiting and waiting, and now I'm here. And so if you receive me and believe in me and follow me, then you're a real Jew. So the whole question is, if our names are written into this book of life, and the New Testament is so clear that the only way they get written there is by receiving Christ, by putting our faith in him as our Savior, as Messiah. Most scholars believe that this passage, this great white throne, um, most scholars believe we believers won't even see that. That that's all about the people whose names aren't written in that book of life. It's the final exam But for those of us that are believers, the test has already been taken. And not only was it taken, the score was 100. It was perfect score. Because it wasn't based on our sin. It was based on our Savior. We're going to be judged to be rewarded for our deeds. But we're not going to be judged because of our sin. If we were judged because of our sin, and this is huge, if we, we, those of us who have received Christ as our Savior, if we were to be judged for our sins, it would mean God's a liar. Because God says, I don't remember them anymore. If he can't remember them, he's sure not going to bring them back up. If we were judged for our sins, God would be a liar. Because it says he removed them. Removed. They're gone. He removed them. They're not still there. He removed them. We can't be, you, you, you can't be convicted of being in possession of stolen property if you don't have the property. If you're not holding it, they can't convict you for having it. Well, it's the same thing. We don't have those sins anymore. They've been removed by God. The shame The guilt, the penalties, the punishment has all been placed on Jesus. So if we were to be judged for our sins, it would mean God was a liar because he said they're gone. He's forgiven us. He's forgotten. And if we were to be judged for our sins, it would mean that what Jesus did on the cross was insufficient. He didn't really pay for them all. Or he didn't pay for them in full. We've got to pay too. If I've got to pay... If we walk up to the theater, go see a movie, and it's $10 to get in, and Debbie says, Bruce, I, I want to buy your ticket. Oh, thank you. And she gives them $8 for me and $10 for her, and she goes in, and I walk up, and they say, wait a minute. Still owe $2. How come? She paid. No, she only paid $8. You still owe 2 That'd be crazy, wouldn't it? That's not what Jesus did. He paid the full amount. He paid the full amount. He didn't pay just part. Now we've got to pay for the rest. If our sins were going to be brought back up so that we could be judged for them, it means God's a liar and it means what Jesus did on the cross is insufficient. Insufficient. Wasn't quite good enough. He paid for the big ones, but we still got to deal. No. If we were going to be punished for our sins on judgment day, then everything that Jesus did 
was insufficient. And our account would be stamped insufficient funds. It's a banking term, isn't it? Insufficient funds. You don't ever want to see that on your account, do you? Insufficient funds. I'm not going to ask how many of us have ever seen that. Too many hands would go up. I'd put two up. It's a bookkeeper's term. It's a banking term. So is the Greek word to telestai. And it's what Jesus said with his dying breath. In English, it's translated, it is finished. That's what Jesus said. It is finished. The words he used weren't common words. They were bookkeepers' words. They were a financial term for when the bill is stamped, paid in full. That's the word he used. Paid in full. It's not, I paid most of it, you got to take care of this. Nope. Paid in full. Not most of the work's done, but you... Nope. Paid in full. It is finished. If it's finished, then we don't have to pay. What we do need to do is to live for him. To say, somebody that's done all that for me deserves everything. Deserves everything. He deserves every ounce of my being, my mind, my heart, my body, my gifts, my abilities, my money, my time, everything. Everything. He deserves it all. And so we live for him. Not out of fear. Not out of a hope that we'll be good enough. But out of thanks and appreciation. I want us to pray and this is tough stuff. Because as we recognize how sinful we are, it's really easy to be afraid of God's wrath and his punishment. Something inside of us wants to try to earn credit. And we can do that for some rewards. We can't do that for our salvation. Next week we're going to talk about heaven and hell. This last verse referred to that. The lake of fire. We don't want to be there. We don't want to go there. But if we don't place our saving belief in Jesus Christ, that's our destiny. We don't want to remain under God's judgment. We want to we want to put our trust in Christ. And if, if you've never done that, or maybe you're not sure if you've done that, you've just kind of believed in your mind there was a guy named Jesus, but maybe you've never said, Jesus, please be my Savior. Jesus, today, I'm putting my faith in you. I'm putting my trust in you. I'm, I'm believing that you are my Savior, that you died on the cross to pay for all of my sins and to purchase a place in heaven for me. If you've never done that or you're not sure, and if you're not sure, then it probably means you haven't. Today's the day that you can receive forgiveness and salvation.
And if that's you, just pray something like this. Say, God, today I want to be saved. God, I know and you know. How many wrong things I've done, how many wrong things I've been doing. God, today I want to follow you. Today, as much as I understand, today, I want to become a child of God. Today, I'm putting my faith in Jesus Christ. God, please save me. Please forgive me. And please show me all the good deeds that you have for me to do. All the things that are just waiting for me to do. And if you're not in that category, you're a believer. You truly believe Jesus is your Savior. You've already put your faith in him. And thank him right now for paying the debt in full. Thank him right now that you don't have to be afraid of judgment day. Because Jesus was already judged for you. He was already judged. Your shame, your debt, punishment for your sins has already been settled on the cross. Thank him for that. Father, I thank you that you're not mad at us. Thank you, God, that you're not angry at us. Oh, I know you're disappointed. You're a loving dad. You want us to do the right thing, and I know we disappoint you. But I thank you that you're not mad at us. I thank you that we can look forward to the end of time. To being welcomed by you, not rejected by you. Father, help us to walk in this freedom. Not to take advantage of it, but to be so thankful for it. Help us, God, to truly be free. That when the devil tries to judge us, when other people try to judge us, that we would just focus on you, what you think of us, and what you want for us. God, thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, as Brent comes to lead us in one more song.